From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Welcome back to part two of my interview with journalist and author Tom Schroeder. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then pause and go back and listen to that first part first before listening to this episode. If you've already heard part one, then you are in the right place. So without further ado, here's part two of Old Souls and Past Lives with Tom Schroeder on From the Void. Yeah, what's what's remarkable is <clears throat> all of these stories uh, involve uh, young children. It's not it's not adults. It's these young children who are who are having these recollections. And I think what's most interesting to, to me, and I think it's it's kind of what you allude to in the book that kind of uh, convinced you that there might be some legitimacy to this, is that uh, instances where these children are recounting. Uh, specific things that are verifiable, especially now we, you know, with, with the internet and things like that, we can, we can verify some of the things that they're, that they're saying and confirm some of these things is true. Um, so so yeah, talk if, about if that they give enough, if they give enough details to right. find enough to find a person that matched those details. And um, I later found out that, there were a lot of cases in the United States, but the ones that that there were didn't tend to have enough details to identify a specific person. But the behavior was identical. You know, it, it, where kids would say, oh, well, you know, I used to live I used to live in in this Alabama, you know, some little kid who lives in New York. You know, who, whoever said Alabama to a kid who lives in, in Brooklyn, you know, and they go, I used to live in Alabama, <laughs> but they wouldn't give enough details. But and then there were also cases where there were enough details, but they were same family cases. You know, they were remembering the lives of a grandfather or an uncle or cousin or something who had died. And and the, the you know, the, the problem with those cases, and if you're looking at it strictly from, well, what does it prove, is that unlike the, the cases where they're strangers, that there was ready access to this information, even for small children, about the lives of their relatives. You know, and even if and even if the, you know, the parents said, well, we never talked about this. You know, we never talked about his grandfather. And yet he came up with all this stuff about him. You know, you think, well, did they really never talk about him? You know, maybe they maybe they did or maybe he they overheard. He overheard a conversation or found an old photo album or something like that and started identifying. it. You know, so just as even though the cases could be seem identical emotionally, just in terms of let's say you're trying to make this case in court of law or something, you know, it's alternative explanations are more plausible. Whereas some of these other cases where 
you know, they're strangers in completely different socioeconomic status, different towns, et cetera. And they have reasons to not want to believe it case, but then are convinced by the details. That's a lot harder to come up with an alternative explanation for. Yeah. So what are some of the other cases that you encountered uh, in your research that were kind of really felt like concrete to you that were, you know, that, that were specific enough, you know? Yeah. And in in India, um, you know, I had uh, like just as, just as, as I had gotten there and, you know, I had been like traveling, you know, for like 48 hours or something. And we get to the hotel and I hadn't slept and I was just exhausted. And so I come in and Stevenson is sitting with his um, with his Indian colleague, this this woman uh, who uh, named Satwan Pasricha, her name was, and she was an Indian psychologist who had started working with him on these cases. So anyway, they're sitting in the hotel dining room, and I go in just like ready to fall into bed, and she says, "Okay." Let's we got we got to hurry up because we've got this case way out in the boonies, and we it's a long drive. So so we go out and we go way out in the boondocks, and it's to this uh, this very traditional village, and um, so there's this like you know to me it looks like a little mud hut type thing uh, that this family is, lives in and. Uh, there's like a, a water buffalo sort of standing in the yard, which is basically mud. And um, so they, you know, they they come out on one of those charpoys, the, the little woven um, benches that are also beds, you know, that's rope, a rope bench. And the, the father's sitting there and the little girl's sort of playing around the yard. And so they start telling the story that, that the little girl, as soon as she could talk, would say, you're not my mother, you're not my father. And they felt it was disrespectful, either that or, and also uncomfortable and weird to them. And so they would like punish her for it. And they wouldn't talk, they wouldn't talk about it. And, and so one day the, the, they said the milkman, and I'm thinking, oh, they have like somebody coming here bringing, bringing a, little cases of milk bottles with milk in them like they used to do in the old days here. I said, no, this is a guy who came to milk the water buffalo. They called him the milkman. And he and he was coming by and she ran out of the house crying and saying, please, please take me to my family. These people, meaning her parents, won't believe me. They won't, you know, and so he, she, she starts saying, and my father's name is, and my mother's name is, and they live in this village. And he was really taken aback by this, as you can imagine. And as it so happens, he, he knew a woman who was from that village. So he told her the story. And she says, well, there, there was a family I used to live near who had parents of that name and their daughter got hit by a car and killed. And, um, and uh, just about the, you know, just about the same time that this little girl must have been born. 
And so, and so the word, so this woman then goes back to her, her town, her village, and tells the family that there's this girl who says she's your daughter reborn. So they decide that the father is going to come with some of the other sort of leading men of the village to check this out without telling anybody because they're, you know, they're skeptical. And so, so they all take a bus and they come out to this village and they walk up there and, and introduce themselves to the parents. And, and the little girl's name was Preeti and Preeti was out playing with her sister somewhere. And so she comes back and all these people are sitting in this courtyard and, and she like gets real shy as she kind of comes through the gate. And then one of the, one of the men says, pretty, show us who your father is. And there are all these men sitting there. So she goes straight to her, the father of the girl and jumps up on his lap and puts her arms around his neck and says, daddy, take me home. And so then the family agrees to let her go visit. So they all take her to their village and, and they sort of get off at the bus stop. And then she just joyfully like starts running and leads them down through all these little narrow alleys and everything right up to the house. And then she comes into the, and this is, we went there and started talking to them. So all the people are like saying, this is what happened. So there are many witnesses to this. And so then she started sort of naming the family members by name. And then, she, and then she, but the little, the girl who was killed was closest to her immediately next oldest sister. And so she says, but where is she? You know, let's say, I forget what her name was, but let's say it's Carmen. Where's Carmen? And, the, and she wasn't there. And so, because she had married and gone to live with her husband, you know, but she knew, you know, so that this is what they're, they're telling us. That, and there are all these witnesses that say this is true. This is what happened, and um, and you know so she so we start one thing that Pretty had said was that when she died, she had fallen from a fallen from a great height. Was what she said. She that that's what she remembered about dying, and so. We we go to the we 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 go to the village um, uh, police station. I mean, calling it a police station is this doesn't really convey what it was. But anyway, it was this <laughs> this building out there, and so we ask about you know. And so this accident had occurred maybe seven years earlier, and um, so we ask you know, if they have records of these, of a fatal accident back then. So they point us to this closet and there are all these bound volumes of, you know, like, like you've seen these big old, old fashioned, like hotel registers, you know, there's these big books where you just write and script on them. And so all these books, and they're not arranged by date or anything. And some of them are like fallen on the floor and they're all over the place. And uh, so we start going through them and, and looking for the the book that has the police reports from that year. 
And we finally find them. We're digging through it. And then we come across across the, you know, the, the report of the accident. And of course, her saying that she fell from a great height was sort of weird because it was a car accident. You know, she was a pedestrian hit by a car. So that seemed like, well, that doesn't seem quite right, does it? I mean, why would she remember falling from a great height? So then we're, we're, reading, we're reading through this thing, and, and we come across an entry that says, witnesses said that when the car hit her, it threw her high in the air, and then, and then, before, and then she fell down and, was, and then died of her injuries. Mm. So that really stopped me because, you know, that might have been justification for saying fell from a great height. And, and so, the, the, you know, all, this was, you know, the, so the more we got immersed in this case, you know, the, the more eerie stuff and, and, and connections started to, started to work on you. And, and the, the thing is, they're, they're just, and it was true what he said about how cases fell out of the out of the trees. Because while we were there, there were people. In fact, we had a, a, a driver once who said, "Oh, well, you know, my my cousin in this town. There's a his neighbor's son remembers. This was in in Lebanon. My neighbor's son remembers being a fighter who was killed in the Civil War." So 97, this was only a few years after the end of the Civil War. And so like everywhere, there's these, you know, buildings that were still rubble and the city was still semi-destroyed back then. And uh, and there was the Druze had a militia. And, you know, there was all this inter-religious inter, um, uh, fighting and stuff. And um, so... the this kid allegedly remembered being a militia fighter who was killed in a, in a battle. And, um, and so, you know, we go to see his family and they have met up with this, with this kid uh, several years before, because they, he told a story people recognize, you know, this is the way it works. People recognize the story and they, put it together with this guy who, this teenager, this 19 year old who had been killed in a, in um, he'd gone down to the bunker, you know, and was going to like fight with his buddies and, and he got killed. And, uh, and so the family had accepted him as the, their lost son. And even to the point where he, he would in in a ceremonial occasion when a when another one of their family members died, this little boy fulfilled the role of the oldest son in the ceremonies because they had accepted him as a as a son. So that was another aspect of this, which is that people actually sort of it became another kind of family relationship. You know, if they met the family, they sometimes developed what would become a lifelong association with them. Um, even, even as, and, and another regularity among these cases was that kids would have these spontaneous memories when they were really, 
really young and really little before they were really out in the world. But as they as they got out in the world, they sort of started forgetting it. So we asked this kid who was like nine or 10 at the time that we saw him, which is beyond the age where often they, they stop talking about it on their own. But he was still connected with the family. And I said, well, I mean, do you still remember his, his life? And he says, well, you know, I was him, but now I'm Fadi, you know. So, you know, so he was kind of accepting that, hey, you go on and you become somebody else. Interesting. It's it's almost as if because they're so young, they're so uh, there's such a small period of time that they are removed from the, the prior life, which is why maybe perhaps they still have some memory of it. And the older they get and the further removed they are, the more they just kind of disconnect from that that prior life. Is that kind of what? um the, the kind of going theory was and in, in all well, this. Sort of, yeah, it sort of, it had the, it had the impact. Like if you think about when you have a vivid dream and you wake up in the morning, you can remember the whole dream. But if you then go get a cup of coffee and everything, I'm sure this is, you've experienced this. Suddenly you can't remember the dream. And you, when you, at the time that you wake up, you thought, oh man, that dream was vivid. You know, I can remember the whole thing that but an hour later, you can't even remember hardly any of it. So, you know, that's the sort of feel that it has. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's but on the other hand, even even though there are cases, a lot of these cases um, and much many more than I thought would be possible. It's still a tiny, tiny minority of most people. So it's like I, I asked Stevenson once, I said, well, why do you think that so few people remember if this is really what's happening? And he says, well, maybe it's a defect. Maybe we're supposed mm-hmm. to forget and that something goes wrong with that process. And, you know, and it's and so these people in a way are defective because their for you know their ability to forget is has been compromised interesting so after all of this i mean this must have been uh, quite the experience for you I, I think you know at the beginning you kind of you know probably came into it a little skeptical you mentioned the the initial research that you, you know, that you read was was not super convincing there are some contradictions there and then you encounter some cases that really are kind of mind-boggling. So after all of this, and you sit down to compile this data and write this book, um, in what ways did that change kind of your perception of this phenomenon? Well, I certainly, you know, I, I came away, and, you know, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm very enamored of the scientific method, and the scientific method is that you make a hypothesis, and then you can do experiments to sort of check out that hypothesis and you never totally believe something. What you do is say, okay, here's the theory that fits the facts, but we don't have all the facts and new facts might come and we'll have to adjust the theory. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with not knowing, you know, about the great mysteries of life. I'm comfortable with just sort of investigating and trying to, you know, trying to find out real evidence for things. 
and then constructing hypotheses. And here's the problem with the, the whole reincarnation thing is that I've never seen any convincing or testable explanation of how this process could occur. I mean, what is it that's transferring between, you know, one body who's, you know, who's dead and rotted in the ground by the time that suddenly whatever it is that contains those memories is implanted in, in, a, in a baby, you say. You know, it, it, there's no, where's the explanation for that? So, you know, in most instances where science progresses, you know, where they start explaining these things that have been mystery, mysterious, somebody will come up with theory about the mechanism. And here you say, well, where's the mechanism? And somebody might say, well, you know, there's a soul. Well, okay, what's a soul? And what's the evidence for a soul? And where do you, you know, how do you measure it? Where do you see it? And there's none of that, you know, I've never come across anybody who has a convincing sort of model for how this would actually occur and, and how, it, how it would operate. So where does that leave us? I felt, okay, I've seen enough evidence to say that this phenomenon of children speaking about what sounds like previous lives is a real phenomenon. It's not fraudulent. People aren't making it up. This is something that's really happening with these kids. And in some cases, they say a lot of stuff that seems to match things that they really couldn't know very easily or you know, almost seems impossible that they could know. But the other thing is, as you go through these cases, they say a lot of things. And, and a lot of the things they say either conflict with the record or they can't be judged either way. Um, and, and so none of them are like 100% slam dunk. You know, there's never, there's never been a kid who, who comes out and says, here's my name. This was my social security, you know, number, you know, and, uh, you know, and just reels off everything that was 100% accurate. Um, so, I, I just think there's room for, I mean, it's still mysterious to me. And, and even if we say, okay, these kids are being reincarnated, then you have the problem of, well, what does reincarnated really mean? You know, what, are, what is it that we're really talking about here? What is it? What part of a person is passed on to another person? What we've got are a few fragmentary memories that seem to be accurate. You know, we often don't have you know, we often don't have skills or stuff. And, and of course, there's a whole other category, and Stevenson did a two-volume work on this, where people have body marks or scars or, or birthmarks that seem to, co and, and they remember a previous life where a person was injured in such a way that matches their birthmarks. You know, like somebody was shot through the jaw and they have a birthmark on one cheek and a, and a birthmark on the other where there's an exit, you know, where the exit wound would have been. Things like that. I mean, he has, he has scores and scores of cases with, you know, photographs and medical records and things like that. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think that 
there's definitely something going on here that we don't have a, a good explanation for. And I do not believe that it's it's just just something that's uh, completely phony or that's totally made up or just easily explained. Like a lot of the skeptics say, you know, they say, oh, those, they're just making it up to get attention or whatever. You know, the parents are feeding them information, blah, 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 blah. Well, I, I, I would say I'm 100% sure that that's not the explanation. And that's, you know, and otherwise I, I'm comfortable with not knowing you know, I don't feel like I have to I have to know the complete answer. I would like to know more. And that's the other thing is that, you know, research on this is continuing. But other than collecting cases, where how else do you advance this? And that's the other th- problem with it is that, you know, the way science advances is you learn enough about something so that you can think of an experiment to do that would sort of identify the mechanism and and i and i just don't see that happening here yeah that's that's incredibly difficult because if you're talking about an aspect of um consciousness that is uh outside of just the brain then it it would require something along the lines of an experiment that is beyond just brain scans or, or things that we have at our disposal currently it's something that you know, it is almost unmeasurable. Um, so it becomes very difficult. Yeah, and, and that's another inter- interesting issue is that, uh, you know, another thing people, skeptics will say is, well, you know, we know for a fact that personality is associated with the gray matter of the brain and that brain injuries change personality and that, and that when, when people die, and their brain disintegrates, then why would we think that, uh, you know, why would we think that the personality persists when we know for sure that, you know, if you take away part of the brain, you take away part of the personality, you take part of the memory. So so that seems to suggest that the memory exists in the brain and that, that the physical brain is the memory and is the personality or gives rise to it. You know, and then the counter argument to that is, well, you know, if you smash a radio, you won't hear the music anymore. But that doesn't mean the radio waves aren't still there. You know, the, the, the radio was the mechanism for, for sensing the radio ra- waves and making them audible. So, you know, maybe the brain is a mechanism for sensing whatever it is that a person is and making it manifest. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a really good argument. So, um, and any final thoughts on, on, uh, what you learned through this entire experiment, any, any final thoughts on, on kind of what you hope people, uh, glean from the book? Well, for one thing, I would hope that people appreciate the life and work of Dr. Ian Stevenson, because he was this courageous guy who, at great personal cost, pursued something that people sort of laughed at him and ridiculed him for pursuing, and that this is a legitimate um, field of research, and these cases are legitimate puzzles, and 
And, you know, and I also think that it should remind people that we know, we understand far less about this crazy, mysterious universe we live in than we often tell ourselves that we do. And there are many other things like this that are, you know, that should be taken seriously and, and shouldn't be just dismissed just because they don't currently fit our understanding of how things work. So before, before I let you go, um, where can people keep up on top of what you're up to and, and find your work? Sure. I, well, I have a website that's my name, tomschroeder.com, and that's T-O-M-S-H-R-O-D-E-R. And, of course, my books are, are on, uh, easily found on, on the Internet, on Amazon and other, other book places. And the, the name of this book we're talking about is, is Old Souls. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I, it's, I wrote it 20-some years ago now. And, uh, you know, it's, I still talk about it maybe like once a month because people are so interested in this topic. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, people, go out, go out and get it. Old Soul Scientific Search for Proof of Past Lives. Uh, it, it's a fascinating uh, account of, uh, as you said, a topic that we're still talking about today. I mean, it, it feels like every couple months there's a new documentary that pops up, um, you know, on, on the topic and and more books uh, that that seem to pop up. So, um, highly recommend it. Go check it out. Thank you so much again for coming on. This is absolutely fascinating. What are we to make of these cases where children seem to recall a time where they lived another life? It's easy to simply write it off as a young child's active imagination. But what are we to do when they seemingly are able to recall information that they had no way of knowing? Actual, verifiable information that seems impossible for that child to know. It appears that if this phenomena is real, then children only have a limited window in which to recall this information. So next time your child says something unusual, perhaps it would be a good idea to write it down. You just never know. If you enjoyed this week's episode of From the Void, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It helps us find new listeners. Next week, we'll be back with an all-new mystery. And until then, I've been your host, John Williamson, and you've been listening to From the Void. <laughs>